0: Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson and through my guests we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com for your curiosity and stoke. Hi there, it's Nick here again from the Wave Pool Mag. Thanks for listening once again. And today we're going to be talking to Rupert Hill or Rue Hill over in Costa Rica, down in Central America. He set himself up a now legendary surf coaching resort called Surf Simply. It's right on the beach and it takes 12 people a week to coach with almost three times that many people to train, instruct, cook, and look after them. It's a high end and intensive holiday, which looks like a whole lot of fun. I'd love to go down there. really would. The kicker is that he's fully booked for almost two years and at a cost of over $6,000 a week, that's a pretty incredible feat. I wanted to prick Rue's brain all about coaching, surfing in a pool as opposed to the ocean. Now what should wave pool developments around the world be looking at doing with regards to coaching and how would Rue's clients actually benefit if he switched from ocean training to pool training? Let's just jump in here and thank our sponsors. Endless Surf brings the next generation of powerful, efficient and customizable waves to the world of inland surfing. The most versatile technology on the market today, Endless Surf allows surf parks to generate waves only when and where they are needed. The unique heart-shaped design maximises beachfront and allows both experts and intermediates to enjoy the same session in a more natural surf setting. Backed by four decades of expertise in aquatic engineering, design management, and master planning, Whitewater's Endless Surf holds a solid reputation for mastering the thousands of details each project faces. Trust Endless Surf to power your project to commercial viability. Wavepool Mag is proud for them to support us here in the podcast. So check them out on www.endlesssurf.com. So, Ru Hill, thanks so much for being on the Waypool Mag podcast. It's really great to chat to you. How's life going right now?
1: Uh, well, th- uh, thanks very much for having me on the show. It's nice to be here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting year for us. I'm speaking to you from Nosara in Costa Rica, which is where we have uh, Surf Simply, where we're based. Um, and it's, you know, it's been a pretty fascinating year. We've been closed since uh, March 21st, when everything, as I think it did for everyone, changed pretty quickly. I remember on the monday we were thinking you know this covid thing's looking pretty serious maybe we shouldn't go out and eat in restaurants out which seemed like an extreme step to take and by friday of the same week we were like okay we're going to have to shut down for like some months you know so it, it it was it was crazy but um you know we went through that period like a lot of people did i think of not knowing what was coming and so not being able to plan and then they, they gradually have started reopening the borders first to just a few of the states in the US which is where most of our guests come from uh, and on as from November 1st to all the states in the US. So we're beginning the process of, of reopening and I think we're able to do it safely. We're quite lucky in as far as you know it's been interesting how random businesses have been completely destroyed by this thing and others have completely survived just on the most arbitrary of factors like whether you happen to rely on being indoors uh, you know or whether you can do stuff over zoom we're fortunate in that most of the resort is kind of an outdoor well ventilated space and we've always gone for the quality rather than quantity so we've always just had this 12 people a week maximum Um, you know we've never tried to just kind of pack the numbers in so we can actually do the whole thing pretty well and spaced out Um, you know there's a few protocols we're having to put in place and change but yeah, I'm feeling pretty, pretty confident about the future now for the, for the first time in, in a few years. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, that's great news because it must have been a harrowing experience. I mean, I know it must, you know, just sitting there watching your business fade away. It must be really, really tough. And obviously, you've got a limited amount of, of spots and you can't just double it up. But anyway, let's go back to um, start right at the beginning. And, and here's the tough part of the podcast. So are you or are you not the British soap actor? Robert Rupert
1: (laughs) yeah there's a guy on street I I have heard of him I think yeah exactly yeah yeah there's not very many Rupert Hills in the world but there's him and I think there's like a a 1970s uh spin bowler from Wales cricketer from somewhere but no I I yeah I think most of my stuff I think just says Rue Hill on it so you know at least in that way I can be found fairly easily on Google but um yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I've got a Nick Robinson who's actually a um a guy, he's on BBC. He's a political commentator. So I'm not sure if you've you've ever seen oh, yeah. him. But yeah, no, he that's, is, Yeah, that's not me. <laughs> no, I'm not into politics at all. So, but you grew up in the UK, right?
1: Yeah, I grew up in the UK, and I would you know grow up sort of surfing uh, down in Cornwall on the north coast of Cornwall. And um, I, I guess my my surf background was that I um, about. I guess the late nineties. So, you know, when I was around sort of 1920, I started teaching surfing in Cornwall and then I would spend my winters in Indonesia and Western Australia and then summers back in England, kind of saving up to do that a uh, little back and forth. And yeah, I mean, I guess I, it led into Sounds surf. Really. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't bad. It wasn't, not a bad life, but um, the way it led into surf simply in what we do now, I suppose was, um, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be asked to do some video coaching with some sort of not elite level, but internationally competitive junior surfers, Uh, you know, certainly in the sort of top 1% in terms of talent-wise in in the UK junior circuit. And then I was also doing those standard entry levels, teaching people to stand up on the beach kind of thing. And um, yeah, and it just became very obvious to me that there was this huge gap in the world of coaching where there was this the standardized way of teaching people who were basically a beginner and you know there was this rapidly evolving world of video coaching for competitive and elite level surfers but the 98% of surfers that fall in between the top 1% and the bottom 1% nothing really existed for and actually there was a lot of cultural resistance to it as well and um, I found the project of trying to Roadmap those those two levels of surfer together to try and create a systemized methodology that just drew a line from point a to point b uh, just a really interesting intellectual project then it kind of evolved in into a business which is what surf simply is now
0: so where was the spark from that i mean was there what spark from when you were trying to do those um when you were doing those video tuition and that's what 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 generated interest
1: well i think it was partly that and it was partly also the fact that um I was teaching huge numbers of people. So I used to work in this surf school in the UK where we would have, there was a team of 28 coaches and on a busy day, we'd have 600 people come through the surf school. So I would be teaching like 10 people and then 10 people and 10 people, you know, four lessons a day. So I I was in this-
0: Like a factory.
1: Uh, Yeah, very much so. And very much not what Surf Simply is and and was was a business model I decided not to pursue. But it was interesting for that period of time because I was able to do A-B testing. I was able to start saying, all right, well, you know, if I teach 200 people to put their front foot pointing this way and 200 to have their foot pointing this way, with those kind of numbers, I can start to to tease out a real effect from just the noise in the data and, and see which ways of coaching work better. And I found you know a lot of you know i've always been curious to like pull at loose threads and things that don't quite make sense to me and there was always this emphasis with the entry level surfing on getting the getting people standing up as being the end goal you know and when people would come back and say you know well i actually really enjoyed that and i would like to keep surfing more and you know what do i do next i would quite often find myself then backpedaling everything i would taught them and saying that well, actually that's not what surfing's about surfing is about the the, the art and the game of putting the board as close to the white water as you can without getting stuck in it, or as we would say as surf coaches, as close to the critical part of the wave as you can. Um, and as you get better at that, you can do it with greater speed and power and flow. And the first thing you need to understand as an entry-level surfer is how you get the board to do what you want it to do. How do you make it stall and accelerate and change direction quickly or trim slowly in one direction? And then we start teaching people about where what we call the secret buttons on the board are, where you slide your weight and experiment and see what you can get the board to do. And then I would go back to teaching them to stand up all over again, but this time not with the goal of standing on the board, because that was just what you do when you surf, but instead with the goal of standing up so that you could push all of those buttons with with uh with more power and with more speed so you stood up in order to surf better rather than it being the end goal in the in much the same way that you would hold the steering wheel in a car to drive a car better rather than that just being the end goal in and of itself um and yeah i, I you know that that it that, seems like
0: that's the end goal in many in many surf schools it's like oh wow you stood up okay that's done you know you've finished the first level and that's it move on
1: right you know and and i think i think there's quite a lot of understandable reasons for that um and i think one of the big ones is that there's this sort of, I don't know quite where it came from, but there's this mythology in surfing that, you know, it it can't be taught. It has to be sort of felt or just gathered by intuition from spending time in the ocean. And, um, you know, I would would disagree with that. I think that really good teaching at any level, whether you're entry level or mid-level or whether you're a pro level, you know, allows you to become better and, different people have different reasons for getting better. But the main one, I think, for most people is that you, you have more fun. And more specifically, you can have a lot of fun in a wide range of conditions. So um, yeah,
0: absolutely. But moving to Costa Rica and setting up a surf school uh, must be a pretty fantastic story, because you're coming all the way across the world, you arrive as a young man, and then 10 years later, you're running a world class surf coaching resort. So how did that transformation happen?
1: Uh, Overnight, obviously. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it has. It's been a really interesting. Uh, it's been a really interesting journey. I, what prompted me to come over here, actually, uh, it was actually born slightly out of necessity. So, when I was back in the UK, I was training a lot of surf coaches, and what was really frustrating was that most people who do seasonal work, if they are, you know, highly motivated and capable people, they quite often will evolve from seasonal, not that there's anything wrong with seasonal work, but they'll quite often go on to a year-round job with a salary that allows them to you know, buy a house and have kids and have a car and on all that stuff that a lot of us want as adults, right? So if you're running a seasonal business, you end up with this inevitable constant turnover of coaches. So you, know, you train someone year one, year two, they get a little better. Year three, maybe you're thinking, okay, this is a solid team member, and then they're gone and you start back again. And so we haven't really anywhere in the world Um, made this path for for people to become career-long professional surf coaches unless you're working at that elite level. So I was trying to think of a way of solving that problem for, for, you know, my business. And the first thing I realized is, well, I need to be somewhere where you can actually be open year-round. So we've got money coming in year-round so we can pay people year-round. And, you know, now it takes someone, if they're an experienced surf coach, probably three or four years to train to be a full level one-to-four one surf simply coach. And, you know, it would be heartbreaking if people kept leaving after three or four years. So, um, yeah, so, I, you know, I, I, I was looking for somewhere we could do that. And I, I went to a lot of places and I arrived in Costa Rica and it, and it really ticked all the boxes here in Nosara. We've got, you know, we don't have huge, great barreling waves like you might have in, in you know, Indonesia or Tahiti or Hawaii. But we have really fun waves pretty much all the way through the year. So you know, we we run coaching courses all the way through the year, and we're open pretty much all the way through the year. And I so the
0: consistency is key, right?
1: The consistency very much is key. Yeah, which is which is why I'm so interested in the whole project of of developing uh, artificial wave technology. But yeah, the, the the very quick thirty second evolution of of arriving here was you know I started. Doing lessons out the back of my car in the car park, sort of year one, and then rented a little space, a little shop space, and then borrowed some money and built some cabinas, and then just gradually built the, the coaching team and the website and the online presence. And then a couple of years ago, you know, borrowed some more money, built this nice um, sort of 10 bedroom coaching facility by the beach here. And now we have a team of about uh, 30 people, like team of uh, nine coaches, and we have 12 guests a week, as I said, and we have, you know, massage therapists and chefs and stretch trainers and all of the rest of it wow, so you've that's got
0: double the amount of people that that you do have as guests that's incredible or m- more even almost three times
1: yeah yeah, yeah but that's it's crazy uh, yeah i mean yeah. It's,
0: it's fantastic yeah yeah anyway, so kai elmer soto appears to be an influence in your progress who is he and how did you guys connect
1: <laughs> yeah he's a uh he's a he's a good friend he's uh, he's someone that i met actually when i first moved to nosara he was careering down the front of a wave on his belly and um and i i think i'm on his when on his, on, his, on his belly like and i think i may have had a word with him just about general safety and etiquette or something i don't remember but anyway we got chatting on the beach and he's he's a very analytical guy and at the time he had just been offered this job with this company called facebook that he wasn't sure if was going to turn into much and um, he, he ended up being quite senior at Facebook. He's not there any longer, but uh, he kind of was a real mentor to me just in terms of the, the online presence and, and some of the, the business growth. And, and I sort of talked to him about surfing and, and he's a very good surfer now. And yeah, so he's, he's just been a good friend along the way.
0: And did he drive you to invest in the weekly videos and the podcast? Because I mean, that's a phenomenal move, It and really. And, and it just comes out so well across the airwaves.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think that the I've always been really interested in videography and and photography. I I went to art college in London, and and that was a big part of what I studied. So I I always have enjoyed the the that side of things. And um, yeah, putting together a weekly videos with interviews with the guests, you know, uh, and footage of, of what's happening every week felt like the most powerful way to just convince people that, that we're authentic and you know we're not just cherry picking a couple of interviews from you know the last few years of guests and putting one promo video on our home page this is actually what we do week in week out and this is this is the real warts and all kind of people talking about the experience um and the podcast i don't know i just love podcasts so we just thought we'd do one just for fun and see what happened you and me both <laughs>
0: <laughs> but those videos are amazing I don't know how you get them to be so different because they're entertaining to watch but it's the same thing every week but it's still like super entertaining to watch it really is so yeah amazing well, well done
1: thank experience. you very much I, they're, they're so fun to do and it's really nice for the for the team as well to see the video and hear all of the guests they've been working with all week talk about their experience you know and I love it because I get to swim around in the water and film a lot of the stuff which is gives me an excuse to just quietly spy on everything you know
0: okay um what i'd love to really chat about today obviously surf simply is, is an amazing um amazing concept and uh i don't know if it's been replicated anywhere around the world it's, it seems to be unique but we'll get into that in a little bit but i'd really like to chat about surfing tuition and how it relates to to wave pools so first of all can we just break down a little bit of the history of of surf instruction because when like you mentioned earlier When I was a kid in the 80s, nobody really went to a surf school. You just bought a board and you you fumbled your way through it. And maybe your brother showed you a little bit and and, and some mates said, "Okay, maybe you should do that. Um, Maybe it wasn't like that everywhere. uh, But what's the big history of of surfing tuition?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I sort of joined the industry, as I say, in the sort of late 90s, I guess. And... um at the time I, I was really only aware of the teach people to stand up entry level lesson and then you're kind of on your own um the elite level coaching was evolving through people like martin dunn who was who was the first he was the first person to pop up on my radar as okay there's, there's actually potentially a career here coaching people that are at that competitive level um and that kind of as I say that 98% in between, I mean, that's something that's really only come about in the last five years and it's been interesting for me to remember back to 2010 where we would get a lot of people saying, oh, you know, I'm coming down with my partner and, you know, I, I surf so I don't need lessons but my partner doesn't surf so they're looking for lessons, you know, and of course you wouldn't say that with tennis or golf. Um, you, you, If you already play it, there's probably more of a reason to get coaching rather than less. Um, now, certainly with Surf Simply, we don't have people say that to us anymore. And I think that's because of you know a decade of instilling confidence in people that might want to come to stay with us, that the coaching they're going to get is really of value. It's not going to be a case of they're being told something very remedial that, that they, they flew past years ago. Um, but I imagine that in most places in the world, most mid-level surfers still would be very, very skeptical, and probably quite rightly so, of seeking out coaching. Um, But it's definitely growing. You know, I know quite a few coaches that I've worked with over the years have now set up their own kind of coaching businesses. And a good friend of mine just moved to San Clemente, and and he tells me that, you know, now you'll see as many people on the beach with cameras videoing an amateur level surfer who's just working on their surfing as there are videoing young kids that are which you know 10 years ago those were the only guys on the beach with video cameras so I think I think we're definitely going through a a big change in the way people think about it which which I think is a good thing personally
0: absolutely it's definitely a positive evolution Um, so if we want to explore surf training with respect to wave pools I mean the opportunities are there in wave pools for obviously because they've got um, consistent surf all year round whenever whatever the the conditions are but um it's only going to happen if the actual wave pool owners get it right so what is happening right now with regards to surf instruction at all the open surf pools around the world i mean kelly's i don't know if you're in touch with snowdonia waco bristol melbourne and now this week we've just opened um one we haven't but wave gardens just opened in south korea Um, So what do you think is happening at those surf pools? Do you think they are catering to the 98% of surfers or do you think they're just doing beginner stuff?
1: Um, I I think that's a very good question and I I won't pretend to really know the answer. I don't know what everyone's doing in every location. I've been fortunate enough to be invited up to Surf Ranch a few times and um, those guys actually invited the entire Surf Simply staff up there for a day. So we had like even all the chefs and everyone they, they gave us surf ranch for a day to mess around in, and, and we've run some training days up there for our guests as well, too. So I sort of know that model better than the other places. But I mean, I think that there's a few, I think there's a few points worth worth heading here. Um, you know, I think one of them is that whenever I talk to people about surf parks, they're always looking at the numbers game. They're always saying, all right, we want to build a high performance wave to get some Instagram clips, or maybe get a contest or get some pros here. But really, if we're going to make this work, we need to have like lots of numbers of people coming through the door, um, and that used to be the way people think thought about surf schools. Still is in a lot of places. But I think the fact that Surf Simply has worked as a business goes to goes to demonstrate that there are people out there who are prepared to pay more. Because Surf Simply is, you know, it's not cheap. It's a six and a half thousand dollar week. Um, and you know, there are people out there who are prepared to pay more to, to you know, not be one of the cattle being herded through. Um, and I think, that, I think that that's something that people who are building wave parks could be looking at. Um, what model that takes exactly? I mean, I would love to do a Surf Simply boutique hotel around a, a, an artificial wave. I think that that could work really well, and there's probably lots of other variations. I think um, you know, the type of wave is also really important. So, for example, at Surf Ranch, it is <laughs> it's such a fantastic barrel, especially that right-hander. Um, we've all seen it on videos and in the contests that they have there. Uh, there's one guy that, that we coached who started surfing in his 50s and in his early 60s, he was getting like a proper barrel at Surf Ranch, which, you know, would have been unthinkable 20 or 30 years ago. And so there's hope for me yet. <laughs> Uh, But, you know, (laughs) conversely, while that place is the best place in the world to to learn how to get barreled, better than anywhere I've ever been, um, it's almost impossible to teach floaters or cutbacks there because that wave doesn't have that kind of soft, crumbling section in front of you that you can climb up on top of, and it doesn't have a, a sort of a wide, not too steep face that you can start to perform cutbacks and then roundhouse cutbacks on. So you know, those two maneuvers I mentioned specifically, because once you get to a stage where you can catch waves yourself and angle down the line, floaters and cutbacks, those two horizontal maneuvers really become 90% of what you're focusing on. Because once you can do those, you can navigate you outrunning the wave or the wave outrunning you, and then you can start opening up the canvas to learning all that sort of top to bottom surfing. And, you know, if you're gonna build a wave and you're gonna seriously try to coach those the 98 percent. you have to make a wave that's optimal for teaching specifically cutbacks and floaters um and i and i don't and do you know... think any technology
0: provides that at the moment
1: yeah that's interesting i mean i you know i know surf ranch is is too good a wave for that you know it's this perfect barrel um I haven't had a go in any other wave pools, so I've just I've just been able to look at them. You know, looking at that Waco one, it looks like you've got that section coming at you, which you always see the guys boosting off. I understand that when they turn it down a few notches, you've got a uh, a wave that you can that you can climb over. But what I'd really like to do is is start sort of running some more coaching programs at some of these other wave pools cause you can you can only guess so much from watching these waves until you actually get a mid-level surfer in the pool or, or more more specifically 10, 20 or 30 of them and you see what problems consistently start arising that you can start thinking about these issues.
0: Um, so obviously the promise of wave pools is that because you have a, a consistent wave to learn on people can learn infinitely faster. I mean we've heard all the marketing spiel and Do you think that's a a measurable advantage over ocean waves? I mean, if you consider, and you hinted at this earlier, spending a week in a a surf simply wave garden cove, for example, and a week in a surf simply in Costa Rica, do you think the client's going to learn faster at the cove and and by what factor?
1: So, uh, again, I think that's a really interesting question. um, And I think the short answer is yes, you can learn so much faster when you've got more repetition. I mean, all of the scientific literature on teaching um, shows that if you repeat something a lot, you get better at it, you know, almost disregarding any other factors. So, um, you know, artificial waves give us that advantage. The one thing that people often point out, which I think is kind of missing the point, is they, they highlight all the skills that you can't learn at an artificial wave, you know, specifically um, navigating a complicated lineup or um, even navigating a crowd, or, you know, the one people always talk about is predicting waves, you know, seeing a wave when it's... 10, twenty seconds away, and then correctly or more accurately assessing what it's going to do and therefore what maneuvers you're going to pick and I think that when people make that criticism of artificial waves they 're completely missing the point because you just don't practice those things in an artificial wave you know you you take what the wave is giving you and you practice whether it's you know uh, what height you are up the wave face what maneuver you're going to choose or how you choose it you know those are the things you focus on and um, yeah, I mean, the, the the biggest problem that we have when we're sending people out in front of a camera and they're doing a drill is that they just, you know, they don't catch as many waves or have the opportunities on the waves that we would like them to. And of course, when you put them on an artificial wave, you know, y- you can guarantee they're gonna have that opportunity and it's gonna be very similar. You're gonna reduce those variables a lot. And the the difference it makes is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you can see someone progress at a specific maneuver, like in a day, which would otherwise take them a year or two years. It's, it's it's not even an order of magnitude. It's like several orders of magnitude faster. It's extraordinary.
0: And I mean, yeah, for example, there's this guy I was just reading about um, this quote from a Brazilian surfer, Mateus Hardy. He was surfing urban surf down in Melbourne. And uh, he said, I wanted to get my alley-oop down, so I practiced a lot in the, in the urban surf. And then he said, a few days later, he returned to the ocean. It was crazy. Like, I landed every alley-oop I went for. I was like, what's next? I mean, that's that's a typical sort of example of, of obviously, at, at working in real life. But do you think as well with, with learner surfers, and, and maybe this is not the 98%, there, there's, a, there's a certain fear involved in the ocean, like just... First of all, just the open ocean. A lot of people are a bit scared to go and surf in the open ocean. And then there's fear of big waves being caught inside, fear of reefs, rocks, sharks, oceans, and all that is eliminated in a pool. Do you reckon that plays a big factor?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that all of the things that you just mentioned are... Well, (laughs) so just to take a step backwards, one of the things I love about surfing is that it's not really one thing. It's like an umbrella activity, which has tons of subcategories of of sub-skills, You know, there's like there's swimming, and then there's wave prediction, and there's um, you know the sort of the the sports psychology aspect of overcoming your fear if you're going to be in bigger waves, and and then there's you know the body mechanics of performing manoeuvres. You know, there's there's so many different skills that make up this this sport that we love, and certainly, as I say, you know, wave pools are not going to be the right place to learn all of those skills. But, in terms of the manoe- the specific maneuvers you're doing on a wave face once you're standing up on a board, I think that they're a phenomenal environment for that, and, and I think you know I, I think that when people make the comparison between um, the ocean and a wave and an artificial wave, whether it's positively or negatively, it's, it's a less interesting question than to start asking questions about other aspects of surfing performance or coaching, which is the area that's interesting to me, which you can't usually answer because the ocean is such a big uncontrollable variable, but you now can answer in a wave pool. So just as example, you know, if, if I was sort of wanting to teach someone how to do a, you know, a, a forehand top turn, right? And whenever you're teaching someone how to do a maneuver, there's so much stuff that they have to think about that as a coach, you can't say, here's the 20 things you have to do correctly. You have to say, you know, well, what's the one thing that I'm gonna give them that's the, either the first thing or the most important thing or the the most counterintuitive thing, the thing that they're not, they're not gonna work out on their own. They're gonna need a coach to tell them. And I'm gonna just get them to focus on that and maybe you write it in pencil under under where their eyes are on the board. So you know, with a forehand top turn, you, know, you might encourage people to turn earlier rather than waiting until they turn when they get to the top of the wave. Or, to you know, rotate their head and look back at the bottom of the wave, or to lift their leading arm so that their chest is open back to the bottom of the wave. These are all individual bullet points you can give them, and you know, no one has really studied which works better. There's just lots of coaches with mostly sort of overconfident anecdotal evidence about the fact that their way definitely works better, um, and I'm probably as guilty of that as anyone. But you know, how fascinating! Instead of saying, you know, how does an artificial wave compared to coaching in the ocean. Much more interesting, I think, to say, all right, let's get now that we've got an artificial wave that's the same every time, let's have like 20, 30, 50 people and tell them, you know, think about where your head is. Whereas these people will say, think about your arms and let's start seeing which ways of teaching actually work better so that we can get better at that, you know. Um I, I think that, you know, and this is something that just interests me generally. I think that our intuition as human beings lets us down as much as it does helps us. Um, and you know when you have a, a topic with a lot of variables in it, um, there tends to be more variance between our intuitions on things. And uh, you know, we tend to go off in all kinds of different directions without actually having some solid research to tell us what's what. And I think that's so true of surfing. And one thing I've learned doing our podcast over the last few years, trying to find scientists who have really studied this stuff, is that there's almost no research done on some of the most basic questions in surfing. I, uh, we were inter- interviewing two guys from California State last year, and they were researching you know, whether that idea of more volume under your chest helps the board paddle a little quicker, something that I've always not only thought to be true, but have told people as fact and have heard experienced shapers say over and over again, turns out when you study it actually it doesn't make any difference if the volume's under your chest or under your hips Um, you know and I I wonder how many stones that when we really you know turn them over we're going to be surprised what we find underneath in in the world of surfing and surf coaching and and I think wave pools are the key to that
0: you should jump onto the Freakonomics podcast and then and get in with those guys and they'll probably have a little bit of a scientific analysis of that
1: yeah yeah I love that I love that podcast actually yeah
0: that's brilliant so I mean it's, it's horrible. It's impossible to say. There's obviously, there's so many variables involved and you can't say by what factor that people will learn faster in a pool than, than as opposed to the ocean. But some people are saying if you had a, a day in the ocean um, or a month in the ocean, it would be equivalent to a day in a pool. Do you reckon that's right? I mean... There's no way of knowing.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, you could, you could figure it out. I mean, you're, at least you could kind of ballpark it. You know, we, we we had a conversation a year ago where we actually reached out to a, a bunch of our listeners on the show and kind of asked them for their thoughts. But we were trying to work out, you know, if, if you're paying um, X thousand dollars for, you know, a day at a surf, um, an artificial wave or, you know, a week out at Tavaroa on the Mental if you actually worked out, you know, how many... Hours are you surfing? How long is each wave? You, know, you start calculating the whole trip in terms of how many dollars am I spending versus how many seconds am I on my feet riding down the line of a wave. You know, we found that despite the, the fairly steep price tag of, of having surf ranch for a day, when you work it out in that way, it's actually not far off. You know? So, um, I mean, that's one way of thinking about it. And it, of course, the predictability of the wave is a whole other dimension to that same question.
0: Sure, and then if you take it to um, something like a Wave Garden or Waco, um, it's going to be a whole lot cheaper than that, so then that'll be much more effective. Yeah,
1: yeah I mean, it's, we, we're kind of, it, I think it's, it's nice to, I don't know if you're doing the same thing, but I, I feel like we're sitting back slightly at Surf Simply and we're watching all these technologies kind of evolve um, and have different strengths and weaknesses, and, and it's, it's really interesting seeing which one is going to bubble up to the surface.
0: Well, I see two leaders at the moment. I mean, this is just my personal opinion. And um, I don't know if you've heard of Endless Surf by Whitewater. They just arrived in the scene. They just stole um, stole a project from Wavegarden in Paris. And that looks really promising. But I still think Wavegarden is really strong. And they've just opened up, in, as I said, in South Korea this week with the biggest Wavegarden yet. I think it's 56 modules as opposed to 46 modules. And I stand corrected. I don't remember exactly how many, but that's a lot bigger than the rest. And the wave is, is looking phenomenal on the video. It really is looking incredible.
1: Yeah, I think the, I, I, was it the, is it the Endless Surf? Is that what they're called? The, the one you, I, I hadn't heard of them until I think yesterday and I got an email from them, just landed in my inbox, just sort of, you know, with a general PDF about them. But I, although I haven't surfed it yet, I, I agree that the, the Cove one looks, you know, absolutely fantastic. I mean, that's, if right now, if that's where, I was, if I was going to put my money down on one of them, that's, that's the place I'd, I'd push my chips, I think.
0: Yeah, but you're right. It is a very dynamic market and, and, you know, you have to sort of wait until right at the last minute before you put your money in because it's a substantial amount of cash, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) It's like $20 million. Yeah. Yeah, at least. But um, do you know of any examples or any stories of people being coached to a high level in a pool? I know Shane Dorian's son um, seems to spend an awful amount of time down at Waco and he's certainly reaping the rewards, doing incredible stuff. Um, have you heard any stories of people being coached to success professionally in pools? Uh,
1: well, I haven't, but I think that that says more about the fact that they haven't been around that long rather than that they're not a good tool for coaching. You know, I mean, I think that that will be very different in 10 years time. Um, I mean, I don't anticipate we're ever going to have a sort of Rick Kane North Shore type prodigy who's never going to have seen the ocean and is suddenly competing at a pipeline. But I think that you know, we, we've seen people like Italo Ferreira and the, the whole of those young Brazilian guys in the last five or ten years who've um, brought the level of high performance surfing, particularly with that, the whole air game is, is just mind blowing. And I mean, I think that we're going to start seeing combinations of aerial maneuvers performed with flow. Which you could only automate with repetition in a wave pool because you just wouldn't there's just not enough waves landing at a beach that are consistent enough for for anyone to be able to do it, so i mean it'll be imagine imagine an italo Ferrera or uh you know one of those guys who had got to spend some substantial months every year throughout their teens practicing airs you know in a wave pool, and then you know you stick them out in in a contest. Um, and they've got that on top of all of the other surfing that they're doing, not instead of it. Um, I, I think the next five, ten years in competitive surfing is going to be really, really fun to see.
0: Yeah, it's going to be crazy, just completely elevated. Obviously, Surf Simply has done really well in the past and, and you guys are booked up. I don't know, before COVID, I think I looked and you were booked up about 22 months ahead or something incredible. Have you ever thought about, um, obviously, you must have thought about um, replicating Surf Simply around the world and particularly in wave pools. Have you thought about doing some kind of consulting or doing a a, a serve simply in a wave pool or anything like that?
1: Yeah, so, well, I mean, there's kind of two questions in there and I'll I'll just take the one about scaling it up or franchising it out first. So um, (laughs) it's funny, so we have a lot of people come from the tech industry and the finance industry who, who come down. Um, and stay with us. And, uh, you know, they're always like, hey, have you thought about scaling this thing up? uh, Scaling scaling's their best word,
0: isn't it? They love scaling.
1: They love scaling. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, as if like, it it hasn't, it hasn't occurred to me before. But (laughs) the, the, (laughs) I guess the basic, the the basic thing is, you know, at the risk of sounding like a bit of a hippie, I kind of want to just have a really happy life, you know? And so I'm not saying that scaling up a business is necessarily a bad thing, but I I do, when I look at it, I don't just think, well, I want to be the biggest in the world at whatever it is I'm doing. I'm kind of like, all right, well, if we open another Surf simply like what what does that look like in terms of just quality of life for me? And, and I honestly, I, I, the guys that I work with here are like family. I, I love them so much and we, we really enjoy this project of trying to make surf simply incrementally better and better every year. Um, you know, it's a challenge and it's rewarding and it's intellectually stimulating. And the idea of just replicating it doesn't intellectually interest me so much. Um, you know, I I don't have kids and I have fairly modest tastes, so I don't have much desire to make, you know, a, a lot more money. Um, so, you know, I just, there's not much motivation for me to want to try and scale it and you know, replicate it. Having said that, you know, anyone in the Surf Simply team who does have that urge to go and do that, uh, you know, I always give them my full support. And we actually do these things called satellite projects, where any one of the team can basically run an offshoot business, which they're the the owner of essentially, and they can market it under the Surf Simply banner and, and use the staff during their downtime. And uh, we so we run little courses in Mexico and Indonesia, and we did one at Surf Ranch. And these were all little satellite projects. And and that's kind of cool because then if people really enjoy being an entrepreneur and being a boss and taking the risk and reward of all of that, then they can go and do it. Um, up to now, mostly people have always said, actually, you know what, I really like working all together in Nosara. I think I'm just going to carry on doing that. And then they, they come back. Knowing that there's no glass ceiling above them, having had the chance to stretch their entrepreneurial wings, and um, and 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 having much better peripheral awareness of what the business involves, having had that managerial experience as well, so you know that's the way I kind of think about that. Um, and then the 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 actually doing another one on a wave pool, it, you know, as I mentioned, is something I would really like to do. Uh, I, I what I don't want to do is, you know, just have lots more surf similes, but I think. Having a having a facility which was a really beautiful, you know, hotel place to stay, resort, call it what you want, you know, with perhaps a, a dozen rooms similar to what we have now. Uh, that, that's a that's a really exciting, beautiful place to be, in and on of its own. So maybe I imagine it. This is my this is my pipe dream. Who knows if it'll come true? You know, you've got this beautiful hotel, wonderful mountain view, valleys, and all of this in the background, and, and you're overlooking this artificial wave. So, if you're the partner of someone that's surfing, this is somewhere you really want to go and stay, despite, uh, like, regard, disregarding whether there's surfing going on. It's just a fantastic place in and of itself. Um, and then, doing that really kind of concentrated experience there would be fantastic because we could do everything that we do now at Surf Simly, but we would also have the advantage of. Um, being able to coach all the way through the day. You know, When we have the onshore winds come up late morning, we, we kind of call it so we have everyone in the water in the morning together, which means you, know, you have to have a bigger coaching team because everyone has to be coaching at the same time and then not at all. So you could actually run a, a business with fewer coaches if you were able to have people surfing all the way through the day, which means you, know, you, can, you can pay those coaches more and that has the effect of being able to attract you know, some of the best coaches in the world. So I think there's a business model there. And I think it's uh yeah, I think it could be something really cool, so I'm very, very excited to go and uh, to go and do that um, with regards offers, to consulting yes. <laughs> uh, well, you know I, I, I've just had a few informal a few informal chats with people, but you know, as I said before i I'm, I'm still <laughs> we did our first ever project at an artificial wave pool at the one in Dubai, and twenty four hours before. All of these people were flying in from all over the world. The pool just shut down and stopped working. And it was like, Oops. very, <laughs> it was very, very stressful. And that was my first experience with artificial waves. So th- there was kind of a sharp lesson there. And I thought, you know what? I, I, I want to make sure that not just these places, are satisfying all the, the surfing and the, the coaching requirements that we just talked about. But, you know, back at house, what's the maintenance of these machines like and the reliability? What's the what's the stress involved in actually running them? I was talking to the owner of one artificial wave, and I, I won't say which one it was, but, you know, I was, I was thinking, I mean, you're so lucky. You know exactly what waves are coming all the time. You've got no crowds to deal with. You don't have any of that stuff. You know, it would be such a dream being here. And he said to me, you are so lucky just having the ocean provide waves and you never have to worry about it like breaking down or, you know, you needing to throw another million dollars at it to get the waves going again. And I'd never thought of it like that. So, yeah, I mean, at the moment, I I still think for us, certainly uh, as as a business that doesn't want to get hugely over leveraged and be in a position where we're having to play that numbers game in order to pay off some big debt, uh, given that we don't want to do that, I, I think the next five or so years I'm going to stand back and and see as I say which technology evolves and works from a coaching point of view uh, and from a mechanical point of view and from a fiscal point of view and then when those three boxes are ticked it'll it'll suddenly be something that I think we want to we want to move forward with yeah
0: excellent and I know I did say that was the last question but I got one more question I have to ask this question
1: no please so what's
0: because it just sounds like your business relies heavily on people and it's a testament to you and all your your managers as well to have such incredible people at this uh, at the surf simply so what's best is it to find great coaches or to train great coaches
1: um yeah that's (laughs) it's something we talk about a lot so we get a lot of people applying to come and be coaches at surf simply because you know it it is a it's a year-round job and we pay people a really good salary Um, and we get a lot of people that were former competitive-level surfers applying to to work, and they are very often not the best coaches. You know, there's this, um, was it Bobby Charlton, I think, the English footballer, a soccer player, who who said uh, he didn't go into coaching after he had captained, you know, the England football team, and someone said, why don't you teach? And he goes, oh, I can't teach football because I find it really easy, which I thought was quite an insightful observation from him so you know I mean I, I try to find people that actually learned not when they were super super young if I find that they're better teachers if there is still some memory of what it was like trying to learn um, you know I try to find people that are really good teachers first and they have to be good surfers but it is easier to teach a good teacher how to teach surfing than it is to teach a good surfer how to teach if it's not something that comes naturally to them
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that certainly answers that question. Thank you very much. Ru, thanks so much for spending the time with us. We really appreciate your, um, your view on wave pools and obviously through the, through the lens of tuition and coaching. So it's been really exciting chatting to you. And, and uh, where, you know, where do we find you online? Obviously, people want to come down to surf Simply. Go to, where, where do you find you on your li- online?
1: Uh, yeah, um, you can go to surfsimply.com and, and find out about staying with us. Uh, you, our YouTube channel, we've put a lot of stuff up there recently. During the shutdown, we decided to just put out a ton of content. So there's, there's kind of technical science of surfboard and mechanics of manoeuvres videos up there. There's, there's a bunch of quick tips that I've done and we now have an ongoing question time video that goes up every week where we answer all the questions that people post in the comments on the other videos. So we've got tons of stuff on our YouTube channel, just search for Surf Simply there. Um, and um, yeah, we we do have a podcast, although we haven't actually done one for six months because we've been doing all the video stuff and now we're going to reopen. So I'm not sure when the next one will come out. But um, if you want to wade through the back catalogue there and listen to us uh, talking in very scientifically sceptical ways No, you've got stuff.
0: something like 71 podcasts. Yeah,
1: yeah. And we've had
0: do you have 71 podcasts or something? I know. I listened to quite a few of them. They're fantastic. Oh, thank Lovely. you so
1: much. That's really kind of you. Yeah. So, you know, some people really enjoy them. If, if you're quite a science-minded person, um, you know, and you also enjoy surfing, that's kind of the, the Venn diagram of our listenership, I think. But, um, but thank you so much for having me on here. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Pleasure.
0: And thank you. I've really enjoyed so, it, too. it's
1: really nice being given the, given the space to talk about this stuff.
0: Yeah. Thanks a lot, Ruth. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thank you. Or your curiosity and stink.